Welcome to episode three of the Let's Get Nuts podcast. First off, here's my first guest of the night. It's the morning host and music director at CJOC Radio and also someone who I used to play minor hockey with. I wouldn't say we were exactly all-stars in minor hockey, but Scott Erlinson, nice to have you on. Thanks for having me, buddy. Happy to be here. Congrats on the pod. <laughs> yeah, good to have you. I, I, I know you've put in a lot of work to try and help get me going here, so it's more your area obviously hosting at uh cjoc probably you know the area a little more than i do with the technological side of things so well it's sounding good so far so you're, you're getting there that's good there's a few other things i'd like to add to it but for now i think uh yeah i think it's been going all right cool. so we'll get right into things scott and obviously last week a crazy week in whl trades probably something i've never seen before as far as the whl it's happened obviously in the ohl and i always thought they were kind of crazy doing it but uh what what kind of was going through your mind when you saw all those wacky trades like we i mean we saw two for i think it was 14 pieces with zellweger and hofer going to cab loops and then austin chuck for eight pieces going to winnipeg so austin chuck to winnipeg for eight pieces going back to uh, Vancouver and then the conditional trade that happened, the Dylan Gunther trade, which I kind of had a feeling his rights would probably be trade, but yeah. than that, I like that. How many pieces were there? That one was eight or nine too. I it think. was quite a few as well. Yeah. 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 And so that one was probably the least surprising because Edmonton's not very good, right? They've not had a good year. They've lost everyone they had in the last two years being good. So that one wasn't a big surprise. Uh, the Zellweger one was the probably the biggest surprise to me just because Everett is pretty good. The team he's coming from there and for there, if the playoffs started today in the WHL, they have home ice advantage in the first round. Like they're, it's not like they're out of it and a big seller by any means they're in fourth place right now. So the, like, it's not a big surprise that they, that they traded him, but the fact that they gave up as much as they did and got as much as they did was a little bit surprising. Yeah. And for me on that trade, I thought, uh, like I kind of understood it from Everett's point of view because they've loaded up for how long? Like yeah, yeah. they've been going for it forever. Eventually it was going to catch up to them. And I think this was kind of the year they maybe had had to do it. They got good enough goaltending. They probably could have won a round or two. And really, I mean, Zellweger could play 35 minutes a night. Like the way he yeah. ha- controls the game, he probably just like he could play 30, 35 minutes and it wouldn't hurt him whatsoever so i think like from that point but at forward their depth isn't great and that's like kind of but i i also just think like at what point do you just eventually sell off if you're ever because like yeah well it's it's the division right like when they're playing against portland and seattle who are so seattle especially who are so good it's yeah yeah you you know even if you win in the first round you're gonna have such a tough matchup in the second round and yeah well and we saw even in lethbridge a few years back when they sold off estevan and skinner yeah. and uh whoever else nagel i guess yeah but like it it's one of those things where i mean everett's gonna get four seed they're basically playing other teams that sold off at the deadline yeah. besides tri-city and uh i mean tri-city really didn't do much they had a couple depth d-man but uh they're going to play like a Tri-City, PG, or Vancouver, and they're all teams that really are kind of similar team as Everett as far as like right in the standings. They're all three points within one another. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things where like 
Everett could kind of do what Lethbridge did a few years ago. They could easily win a round. Well, in that year, too, you'll, you'll remember uh, Lethbridge almost beat Swift Current. They went to the Eastern Conference final against Swift Current, who they had traded all those guys to, right? So, yeah. And, that, and they almost, and they still, I think they took them to seven games. They won the first two games. They at least took them to six. They won yeah. the first two. So, it, it, something like that could happen for sure, where you sell your whole, you know, your all your star players to one team and then end up playing that team in the playoffs. Wouldn't surprise me. And, and I, like injuries happen, obviously, especially in junior, like guys aren't pushing as hard to play through things in junior as they do in the NHL. And I mean, that's just kind of, I think that just is kind of, uh, I, I don't think maturity is the right word. I'm trying to think. It's of, a development thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's just, you get older, your pain tolerance is probably a little higher. What's yeah. not. And also those guys are making big bucks. Whereas yeah. junior, I mean, most, a lot of those guys are making this 200 bucks a week. So yeah. It's like one of those things where I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think like a lot of those guys are going to push through if they have a separated shoulder or whatnot, or at least they're not going to play every single game through it. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I I just think I've never seen teams so stacked. Like Seattle, if they do get Gunther back, they're going to have 10 forwards at right now. I think it's just under a point per game if they get Gunther back. Yeah, unbelievable. Them and Kamloops in the West. Yeah, I've never seen two two teams load up that much as much as them and Kamloops have. Well, it was like, like if you look at Seattle's forwards, they're gonna have this is just their top six if they were to get uh Gunther back, which mm-hmm. I I thought honestly watching the World Juniors and even him scoring the gold bell game or gold bell goal, I'm really like I don't think he's Personally, I don't think he should be in the AHL right now. Yeah. But I also don't think he should be a junior. And that's one of those things where it's like, I mean, what's his benefit going back to junior? But at the same time, I mean, he could win another championship. But I just, I don't know. It's one of those weird things where I feel like if guys play like three full years of junior, they should almost be able to play in the A. But well, my what my suggestion would be is if they've already played in the NHL, they should be able to go to the A. That's what that's how I think it should work. If they if they've done their if they've done their you know their nine game or whatever or if they've burned to their entry level and they played in the NHL, then they should be able to get sent down to the A. Yeah. I mean and obviously as a junior hockey fan that would hurt junior hockey it would. It would. But, but you're, I, you know, you're losing those guys soon anyway, if they're already basically at the NHL level. Yeah. And I don't, I don't disagree with you there. It's just, it's one of those things where, yeah, I think, cause there's no benefit really for him to go back to junior, but at the same time, like I didn't see a lot from him and I agree that with Clark and Wright getting sent down, but I didn't see a lot from Gunther where I'm like, eh, yeah, like he's a stud. Like, yeah, he gets open. He'll score for sure. But like, I Six of his seven goals are on the power play, right? And all, all three goals he scored in the NHL have been on the power play, which is, that doesn't translate to being a full-time NHL player. No, I, and I, I, I'm i not saying he won't be a good player. I think he's probably going to be 15, 20 goal scorer. I don't know if he'll ever touch like 40 or not that that's a bad thing. I mean, if you can score 15, 20, that's a pretty good career you're going to make out of it. But I just don't see a guy with that little of like a wow factor. Yeah being a stud because you gotta like there's a lot of guys who can sneak in junior hockey with a point game and you don't even notice them yeah or even over a point game like you don't really notice them but gunther to me he's one of those guys who like if he gets open he'll he'll score like he's got a, a elite level shot 
Yeah, he does. But he yeah. just, I, to me, he doesn't really create a lot, kind of. So just like, I don't know. I, But if Seattle gets him back, their forward group, as I was going on, their top six is Lambert, who they just got. Yeah. They got Colton Dock. They got Colton Dock as well, yeah. They got Reed Schaefer, who's was on Canada. Yeah. Dylan Gunther. Uh, I'm missing another big name. Well, Craig Kovic, who at one point last year was almost leading the league in scoring. He's a 20-year-old. Yeah. And uh, Garrett Davidson's their leading Garrett scorer. Garrett Davidson's right? another 20-year-old. He's leading their team in yeah. scoring. He's like 15, 20 points over a point a game. Yeah. And you still got like Mayatovich, who's like just under a point a game. Yeah. Uh, Gustafson, who's a Vegas draft pick. Yeah, Korchinski on the back end who has way over a point a game. Yeah, it's like like they're literally just like I, – I feel like this is the first time the w, uh, WHL team or teams have actually like traded to win the Mem Cup, not just yeah. in their league. Because like we see it all the time, the O and the Q, right? Like yeah. they just load up to win the Mem Cup. And it's yeah. almost like they're helping their team in their league. They're not really doing it to like uh, – to uh i guess what how would you word it they're not really doing it to help the their like their own team right like most of them are almost like trying to help the team in their league win the mem cup and i mean obviously they're getting significant pieces in return but it's like yeah it's and they've changed the rules a little bit on trades in the ohl that's why all the big ones are happening in the dub this year right like we saw shane wright get traded and it wasn't for nearly as big of a package as as zellweger got so yeah, no first rounders allowed to get first rounders. Yeah. Do you know why that is? I was kind of I someone asked me that and I was like, I haven't I mean I get it, the draft's a year later. Yeah. But I don't know, like, what would you think the reasoning? I, I, I that is partially why, but I'm guessing just to to kind of avoid what we were just talking about, like having these big trades where you're really giving up a lot um for like long term for you know one run at it. Yeah, and, and I guess that gets to my last question on those trades, like. Do you think it's worth it to trade that much off and probably be now Seattle? They got a lot of good young guys still. Like I get one of the guys I missed actually Sachin, who's a guy they just got him to sign this year and play. And he's just under a point a game or might even be at a point a game. Yeah. So like, he's another young guy. Mayatovic's still going to be back next year. So like they're going to have guys that are back next year and still probably be a good team. And if they, I don't think they'll have anything to load up on, but like they could trade off. Kamloops will probably have a couple pieces they could trade off, but like, do you think it in the long run, it's worth it to really load up? Cause there's no guarantee for one right. that you're going to win the league. And two, there's no guarantee that even like I was looking at the trade and I'm thinking, what if Austin Chuck or Zellweg are like, you don't want to like obviously wish that on them. And I don't, I, but what if they get injured first week? Yeah. Yeah, like done for the year injured yeah. it's like you just gave up 15 or 10 to 12 pieces for a guy who's injured yeah that is that is the riskiest part for sure i think it can be worth it in the, like in the case of Kamloops, they're hosting a memorial cup right so you know they're going there yeah. and we've seen teams get host teams get embarrassed at the memorial cup when they're hosting before so i understand those teams wanting to load up and put on a good show and and have their crowd with them the whole way in that and uh, and have a good showing in the Mem Cup if they are hosting, but I don't think it's always worth it. I will say I feel like it is generally it's it's good GMs and it's good teams who normally do it. You know we don't see every team doing this, right? It's it's often 
Portland, Seattle, Regina's done it lots in the past. It's teams that are well run and, and know the risk. So I don't think it's always worth it. Um, in the OHL, it's often London and Kitchener um, who we see do stuff like that all the time. Teams that are well run that, that know what they're doing a little bit more. Um, it can be risky though. Like I, I, I wouldn't do it personally. Yeah. I, I think it, I completely agree with where you went on that. Like with the point of the certain organizations that are doing it for one, I think Seattle, if they like, if they want, they could draft a kid in the 10th round of the Bantam draft, knowing he's a good enough player, but he's an American and they can probably get him to sign. Whereas another team, like particularly maybe even Lethbridge, they could draft a kid in the 10th round who's American chances are he's not going to sign and you're going to have to trade his rights. So like, it just like, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a fair playing field, but it's like almost one of those, like, it's kind of unfair. You could have know your strengths a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then like Kamloops, same thing. I think they could basically get later draft picks that are good players, but they're going to take a risk on drafting them just if they want to go NCAA row or not kind of thing. Yeah. And, and to, to kind of cap that, I don't, I don't blame teams for not doing it. Like if I, if I was Regina, I wouldn't be trading Bedard either. Like I, I do think there's some no. value in having the guy get drafted, like in this case, Bedard to get drafted as a Regina pad and have him always be a Regina pad. I do think there's value in that for your team as well, more so than adding 10, 12 picks, whatever it would be. I, I agree actually. And a lot of people that that's been a real topic lately, yeah. just like for obvious reasons, but I I agree with not trading Bedard. I know they would get a lot, but I actually a lot of people see Regina not being that good without him next year. I actually kind of disagree. I still think they're going to be a pretty good team, and I think there's so much hype around Bedard too that it'll him not being there next year will actually let a few guys kind of come out of their own shell. Yeah, because they're going to get more opportunity. It's going to be. And this is nothing against Bedard because it's like, it's not his fault. He's so freaking, well, I mean, it is his fault. It's so freaking good, but like, it's not his fault. There's so much attention and yeah. all this. So like, it's, I actually think Regino yeah. still, they got a pretty decent young group. I still think they will be decent, but like to your credit with the, uh, with not trading him, I agree because I think that he gets, like if you trade him you, and even at the AHL draft, the say cab loops trade for him. And it's announced as from the cab loops blazers, Connor yeah. Bedard. It yeah. looks, it does. People don't remember him as a Regina Pat. Like, yeah. yeah, the people from Regina and certain hockey fans will, but like me and you will probably think, Oh yeah. Cab loops blazer. Like yeah. they were talking about John Tavares. Same thing happened to him. He got traded though. Yeah. And it, it kind of screwed over Oshawa a lot. Like, yeah, they traded him to London right at the end. Yeah. Yeah. As far as marketing, it kind of screws them over a bit. So yeah. I wanted to get to a few more topics. And that one was such a good topic that we just almost ran out of time, Scott. So honestly, I'd like to have you on a few more times. I'd sure. like to have you on by around the AHL trade deadline for sure. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we'll get you on then and we'll uh, continue on. But I think that was a real real productive conversation and i i think of some very good opinions especially from you on uh from a guy from out east too seen those crazy whl trades yeah. i shouldn't say from out east but 
lived uh, there for a while for sure. Well, it's all that, so. Those OHL trades, yeah. not, sorry, not yeah. WHL trades, but yeah, to have the experience living out there and now seeing the crazy ones out here. So yeah, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll have you on again soon. And thanks for joining me. Sounds good, buddy. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Welcome to episode three of the Let's Get Nuts podcast. And this next guest was a third overall pick in the 2004 NHL draft by the Chicago Blackhawks. Played 310 NHL games with four teams, the Chicago Blackhawks, the Minnesota Wild, Edmonton Oilers, and the Vancouver Canucks, and is a two-time World Junior Gold Medalist with Team Canada in 2005 and 2006. I'd like to welcome Cam Barker. Cam, nice to have you. Thanks for having me, Ryan. So I guess we'll kind of just get started throughout your career and go that way and just Kind of why the hell, first off, why the hell did you start your junior hockey career in Cornwall, Ontario? Yeah, that's a great uh, question. Uh, <laughs> when I was young, my dad worked in Ottawa for a few years. So I, I lived there when I was uh, 13. Uh, my whole family moved there. My mom, my brother, my dad. Uh, my dad worked for CSIS. Uh, you know, it was a big move. Me and my brother little out of sorts, uh, you know, meet new people, new environment. Um, we enjoyed it a lot. We still have some friends from there from that time. Uh, then when I, when I was 15, we moved back again. But for this time, it was more for me to play junior A. Uh, I guess the thinking at the time was, um, you know, the junior A league and Ottawa was a bit better than Manitoba. Um, so, yeah, we spent two years there. Loved it. But Cornwall, yeah, it's uh, that was my first place really away from home. Um, we'll get Nolan in here. He's old on <laughs> You want to say hi? Oh, he's a Jets fan. He doesn't like any of Dad's teams, eh? He doesn't like, you know, yeah. <laughs> Is he a Jets fan because of Buff, or he just likes the Jets? He for sure likes Buff, but uh, <laughs> it's the Summerland Jets. That's his team. The sum- oh, that's his hockey team. Okay, that's okay. Team, yeah. I, I see videos of him all the time on your Instagram. And yeah, no, he's, uh, like no, he's, uh, no, he's a special case. I'm sure we'll cover this after, but he was born in Kazakhstan. Oh. Uh, we were playing overseas, and... Uh, yeah, he's a real firecracker. Um, but yeah, back to Cornwall. That was my first time away from home and in a junior environment. And I uh, have a lot of fond memories. So I was 15, then playing, you know, junior A. Um, yeah, definitely a, a great uh, time to prepare me for, uh, you know, what was next. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. Because you, you grew up in Winnipeg, right? Yeah, I grew up in Winnipeg, played uh, minor hockey in Winnipeg, and then we moved for those two years. But yeah, other than that, you know, uh, born and raised in Winnipeg, a lot of family there. Um, uh, you know, uh, can't say enough good things about Winnipeg, honestly. Great people, great place to grow up. Um, you know, couldn't ask for anything more. It's funny you say that because everyone I know from Winnipeg, like anyone who goes to visit Winnipeg is like, ah, what a dub, eh? Like Canada's asshole. But it's like anyone who's from Winnipeg 
has like the biggest pride of being from Winnipeg. Yep. No, I still have that for sure. Still have a lot of friends and family from Winnipeg. Always go back to visit uh, every summer. Um, but no, it's, uh, yeah, other than the weather. Um, I mean, great people, um, great place to be a kid, be able to skate on the outdoor rinks, obviously with the jets back, um, you know, it's a great community to be from, uh, summertime's different story, you know, there's lakes everywhere. It's, uh, yeah, honestly, man, uh, I don't have uh, anything bad to say really about Winnipeg. I, I've only been there once and I'm trying to think what the bar is called, but apparently the jets always pull stuff and it. it's not really a bar, but it's like, uh, you just kind of sit. It's it's right by the hotel. Cause I, I went there when I was working for the university hockey team here and they played in Manitoba, like against the Bisons. And there was like a little, it was called like something, it almost sounded like a horse name. I don't know if you know what it's called, but I can't think of what the name is. But well, there was uh, I think a couple Palomino. Uh, no, that wasn't it, but yeah, yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm not, sure. <laughs> yeah, I but yeah, I can't remember. But when I went there, it was it was cold, but I, I mean, I didn't think it was that bad of a spot, but. Maybe the cold weather turns a few people off. But back to back to Cornwall. So, like, when you played there, were you signed by the Tigers at that point or not yet? I was not. I was waiting for the WHL draft and the uh, OHL draft. And since my family lived in Ontario but also lived in Manitoba, I, I kind of had the option. Um so yeah, going through all the, you know, different scenarios and whatnot. I, I mean, playing with the 67s was uh, very enticing. I mean, me at that age, um, you know, you're just, uh, I know as far as my parents are concerned, they're just trying to pick the best scenario for me. And uh, Medicine Hat just had Jay Bomeister and he was leaving and, um, you know, there was a spot for me there. and. I was very fortunate to have uh, Willie Desjardins and um, the Mazer brothers as owners. And then Doug Glitster was assistant coach. And um, honestly, it, it worked out uh, phenomenally. Um, I really enjoy, uh, you know, my time I spent Medicine Hat was awesome. Um, still go back quite a bit. My wife's from Medicine Hat. Um, so my junior experience, not only did I get great coaches and good teams and really helped my development, but, you know, it was just a great junior town, you know, not that other ones aren't, but, uh, I, I certainly felt a connection there with the coaches and the ownership and, uh, billets too. I had great billets. Um, yeah, my, my junior time was, was awesome. Man, I, it's funny. I, I literally, I don't get them anymore, but when you played on the Tigers, I swear I had nightmares of when you, I guess it would have been MacArthur and Helm and Frick, you had Russell then too. And I think your goal, like you guys were, you guys were stacked, obviously went to the Beb cup, but like I still get night or I used to get nightmares of, I could literally, I could still picture it 
you walking the line and just laying that little snapper in there, freaking bar down, and hearing that stupid freaking horn in in that arena, that I'm sure you can remember that horn that the goal horn was in Madison Hat, and just like the the bounces in that arena were something you could not picture in anything. And yeah, uh, uh, sure. I, mean, I mean, talking about uh, the old arena in Medicine Hat, I mean, that, that place was uh, something very special. Um, they used to have all the alumni up on the wall, everyone who had played there previously. Um, you know, such a deep, deep history, and you really felt connected to that. And a lot of guys would come come around, you know, from time to time, and um, you know, maybe you don't think about it when you're when you're playing, but you know, it's such a big part of things. Having that alumni, having that uh, history, I think is very important. And uh, but yes, that rink with the fans in there, how that rink was set up was always sold out. Uh, we for sure didn't lose many games, maybe after my first year in that building. But uh, no, I mean, the ownership, the, the coaching staff at the time did such a phenomenal job. And, you know, uh, the message I try to get across to, you know, the junior players I work with now, you know, everyone's so excited for the next step all the time for me like the best time you'll ever have is going to be in junior it's not going to be pro and people don't understand that and you know the short form of that is you know when you're in junior you got to worry about high school and that's about it you know um you're playing hockey you're working out you're a teenager you're you're just having fun you're living life and uh, the Tigers provided that space to be able to do that and in such a way that they were producing players and good teams. And, you know, Willie, obviously, uh, Desjardins, but the ownership, Doug Litster, um, that first year is something I'll never forget. And, um, yeah, the answer I give to junior kids now is, you got to have as much fun and as work as hard as possible in junior. There's, there's too much going on as you move up that things become a little more difficult, but uh, junior, uh, all these kids should really be enjoying to the fullest, obviously working hard, but uh, you know, it should be the best time of their lives for sure. Well, and you, you mentioned how great of a time you had in Madison Hat, and I always heard, from quite a few alumni there that it was like it was the best place to play junior and obviously a lot of guys say that where they play but like truly Madison had I mean you had a legit junior hockey rig I mean for anyone who never went to the arena the seats were basically over top of the rig like if you were top level of that rig you were basically sitting on the on the ice and not just the rig but it just felt like Madison Hat was such like a even even though the population sixty thousand, it felt like it was all or around there. It felt like it was almost like a five thousand, like that four thousand people in that rig felt like that was the whole town, did it not? No, it, it certainly did, and uh, I mean fans make junior hockey right. Like uh, it doesn't really matter where you are 
um, you know, for this, but uh, I obviously have a connection with Medicine Hat and that rink, the fans, uh, the people you'd see every day, you know, the work uh, the team does in the community, I think, uh, you know, brings everyone closer. And they have a gorgeous new rink now, that which I've seen and I've been through. And it, it honestly doesn't feel the same. It's not, uh, it's not, you know, it's, it's different. So I don't know, maybe that's my own memories or, um, you know, being old school, but you know, I know these kids now that play there are getting all the same stuff and, you know, being treated properly. And I hope they're, uh, you know, I know last year and, you know, they had the first overall pick, um, last year, it was going to be a heck of a player. Uh, I'm excited for their future here. And, you know, I know Willie and uh, the Mazers are doing a great job running that program. And, you know, I'll, I'll always have a uh, big time soft spot in my heart for Medicine Hat. Yeah. I've, and did a couple of points you make there, like Willie, for example, I've heard nothing but outstanding things about him. And just like his demeanor in the media when he was coaching in the AHL and even in junior, like he just seems like he's an unreal guy. And then also, I mean, the the rink i completely agree with you there i i went to one game a few years ago in that new building and it just did not feel the same like i know you're never gonna get the atmosphere of what you had in the arena but it was four thousand every night in that old arena and sold out for how many years in a row and then you move to this new arena and I feel bad for the people of Medicine Hat when that arena came because the league basically forced their hand. I mean, they it really wasn't anything. It was basically get a new rink or we might ship you out of town, right? Like it was one of those things where the people's hands were kind of forced. And especially you, you mentioned the new rink. I, have you been to a Tigers game in the new rink? Yeah, I've been to uh, a few, and then obviously seen uh, the dressing room and stuff. I mean, it's a phenomenal facility. Um, I think everyone over there, you know, obviously wishes they could fill the building. You know, it's another issue with a bigger building and a you know a smaller town. Um, but you know, when you look at the big picture, I think everyone's trying to you know uh, keep the bar moving here. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping uh, they can fill that rink one day. Uh, obviously, it helps with having better teams and them having, um, you know, maybe a couple off years, which everyone has. Um, them getting some top picks and some top prospects. Um, you know, I know they have the recipe there. It's it's coming. Um but yeah, I think kind of those two things kind of go hand in hand. But uh, yeah, the old rank was something special for sure. Yeah, it, it's uh, well, it, and also the one thing I don't like, just to finish a point on the new rank, is the seats are built like you're in row 10 and it feels like you're in like row 60. Like it's yeah. like it's built like a basketball stadium, right? Where it's like it goes out instead of going up. It's a weird, I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, no, it's definitely not the same as previous. And uh, I know it might be a little bit out of town for uh, some folks, but, you know, in the big scheme of things, it's an extra five minutes. 
you know, you're still getting uh, the same product. And, uh, you know, I keep a close eye on Medicine Hat. And I, I you know, I, I wish them the best. And uh, I know they got exciting things uh, coming up here. Yeah, for sure. Especially with Gavin McKenna, who's going to be one heck of a player. There's some people saying he might be better than Bedard. I mean, who knows? You never know. But I have heard few people saying that I haven't watched him with my own eyes, so I got no opinion on him yet, but I've heard nothing but great things there. And I guess the next thing about playing at Medicine Hat, we kind of touched on earlier, but the rivalry with the Hurricanes, because I know there's still kind of rivalries, but going back to those games, it was like bloodbath every night. Was it not like how many line brawls did you put or bench brawls did you have? Would you there was a few, but I think like just talking in general now is uh you know now you're making me feel real old school. <laughs> I, I don't really uh, peg myself as an old school guy, but uh you know, hockey is different now than it was and uh, I coach uh, junior A now and obviously my my kids are going to you know university college so you know, there's not much fighting. Um, but what I remember the dub back in those days with the guys that were in the lineups, there was definitely a little bit more fighting going on. And yeah, Lethbridge was always circled on the calendar. It's always a big rivalry. Um, yeah, different times, different. Uh, well, yeah, I guess I'm getting old. That's. <laughs> I really don't think it's that long ago, but I suppose. No, I don't either. And then you look and it's like, holy shit. That was 18 years ago. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. Because, like, I even asked you, do you you vividly kind of remember when, uh, it's funny, sometimes I'll be hanging around with Chris and I'll look at, every, every, like, few years we'll go over that, we'll talk about that brawl where, Yellowhorn got neon need, I think, at center. And that started a couple fights. I think Seabrook was fighting someone. And and then the next face-off, I know Clay Cameron was on the ice. And I think Mar was out there. He was fighting someone. I remember this. Mar was was he a psycho, like undercover psycho? Well, Meyer, Stefan Meyer was yeah, one of the toughest guys I for No sure Mar, Steve Mar. Steve Marr, he, he uh, I wouldn't peg him as a fighter, but he'd fight. And uh, But yeah, like a line brawl, right? You're just paired up against whoever. It's not like it's a set seating arrangement, right? Like it's, yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, there's definitely a few of those against uh, Lethbridge and for sure Red Deer. And, you know, back then, like it's not very uncommon. Nowadays, it'd be, you know, front page news and, yeah, um, you know, I think I seen one a couple of weeks ago in uh, Junior B in BC and it was all over the news. It was like 56 games of suspensions or something like that. Like what, what, were, what were the news covering back, back when no I, kidding. I, I couldn't even get in the paper back then oh man yeah you couldn't get in the paper just in all us hurricane stands nightmares right <laughs> just tingling the freaking twine bar down all the time oh shit yeah and i mean it the teams you got you had in junior too like 
you guys were stacked every freaking year. It felt like you had like how many of you guys on that med hat team went to the AHL in your time there? You must have had ten or ten or There'd so. Be a lot. I mean, uh, like Lupul, Darren Reed, Ryan Hallweg, uh, Chris Russell, Clark MacArthur, Derek Dorsey. Darren Helm, uh, a bunch of other guys played pro. I, I don't know if it's, you know, it's hard to really put what it's on, but, you know, I think, you know, the coaching staff, Willie and them from, you know, top down, they did a great job of developing players. And uh, I, I think they were ahead of their time as far as how they treated players, uh, how it was more of a two-way street. Um, you know, definitely they put you in your place if you're not doing what you're supposed to, but, um, you know, I can honestly say without Willie and Doug and, you know, the Mazers running that team, like, uh, you know, probably wouldn't have worked out the same if I went somewhere else. Um, you know, I think the world of them and, um, you know, like I said, I still keep tabs on them and. I'm happy uh, for them to where they're at now and, you know, where they're going. I think it's very exciting. You know, you, you spoke about Gavin McKinnon there being close to Bedard and uh, yeah, I'd be one of those guys with that opinion. Um, I think he's very special, special kid. And, um, you know, hopefully he can uh, fill some more seats in medicine hat there. And to kind of touch, I guess too, like, you say you guys had a two-way connection with Willie, like players and uh, coaching staff. And it, it felt like, or at least from what I heard, I don't know if it's, I mean, it's probably not the same anymore because kids are way different now, obviously, than when uh, me and you grow up. But were you guys allowed to go out on Saturdays? I thought I heard, like, after a Saturday night game in Madison had, it was like green light to Ralph's every weekend. <laughs> No, yeah, we we were definitely able to have our fun, but it was kind of all in the, you know, constraints of what, you know, you're allowed to do as a junior player. And uh, I felt like, you know, we were able to, you know, enjoy our time off. But, you know, on the flip side of that, it probably meant that, you know, he demanded a little bit more when we were at the rink, which was, just fine, but obviously now, um, you know, coaching kids and and being through, uh, you know, hockey for so long, that's, uh, you know, it's not a one-way street. And, you know, I think Willie had that figured out way before he coached the Tigers. I think it's more just how, how good of a person he is. And, um, you know, I think that both those things go hand in hand. And, and like I said, Man, junior for these kids, it's got to be the funnest time of your life. And if it's not, I mean, you're probably doing something wrong. No, um, I I never played junior hockey, but every – I live – and that's why I started this podcast because I, I love hearing stories about a lot of the best ones are from junior hockey, right? So it's like it, it just – I like, I always loved listening to my friends tell their junior hockey stories and obviously hearing some now from you too. Like it just, uh, I always think that you watch junior hockey too. And it just, it looks like they're having the time of their life out there. And obviously everything like 
there's obviously tough days in anything you do in life, right? But uh, just junior hockey really seems like one of those things where it's a heck of a time. And I guess talking about a heck of a time, probably your greatest accomplishment during junior individually would be getting drafted to the Chicago Blackhawks. And third overall is getting drafted in general is an unbelievable accomplishment. But what did it mean to you when you went third overall of the Chicago Blackhawks? I mean, it's hard looking back on it now. Um, I think, you know, when you're that young and you're in that junior experience, you know, that, that year, uh, you know, with the Tigers, we went to the Mem Cup. And then I went to the combine and then I had graduation. It was a pretty big whirlwind. Then get to the draft. Um, I think everyone in my camp felt like I was going to Chicago. I was pretty certain I was going to Chicago, which I was thrilled about. Uh, it was my grandpa's favorite team. Um you know, I, I got pictures as a kid in the Hawks jersey. And, um, no, I was thrilled, to, uh, absolutely thrilled to go there. Um, but, you know, now it's the next step. And now, you know, all, all of that was foreign to me and, uh, you know, my my family. And, uh, but, yeah, being drafted by Chicago is definitely one of my, if not the top memory in hockey. Um, what a great experience. I had my whole family there, grandpa, my brother, you know, my mom, my dad, uh, you know, it's such a cool, cool thing. Um, I wish I had it in slow-mo because when you're in it and you're doing all this stuff, you know, it, it goes by like that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I can't say enough good things about that experience and you know what it meant for my family too like not just me but um you know it's just such a great thing yeah and i i mean that was just the start of all your hockey accolades really but get drafted third overall to a story franchise like chicago right off the hop that's gotta be pretty darn exciting and your next real accomplishment would have been making the world junior team. And it's funny, we were talking off air here about my first guest, two-time world junior gold medalist, and you, two-time world junior gold medalist, and how there's can't be that many guys that got two world junior gold medals. And sure enough, you're one of them. I guess I what I really want to dial in on is that first team you played on, that 05 team, which is historically and i would say hands down the greatest world junior team of all time like you look at that team i think there's two guys that never got ahl games rashad bolsherman the goalie and uh steven dixon like that team was just ridiculous yeah no that team uh was definitely something special i i probably didn't realize it as being an underage guy at the time um you know, the magnitude of what was going on and the, historically how that kind of fit in. Um, Brent Sutter was the head coach. <laughs> oh, boy. Right? <laughs> so he coached, obviously, coaching owner in Red Deer. Um, so I played against him a lot of times in, in Medicine Hat. And, you know, I knew his brothers a little bit. And... Uh, 
Anyway, so I ended up making that team and, you know, I'll be, you know, so happy I made this team underage guy. It's my draft year. Um, you know, but yeah, how things ended up and how, how that team is perceived now. Like, yeah, I had no clue at the time. Uh, I do have a real funny story about one of my first, it was one of the last tryout practices and this, uh, I had never heard this before, but I guess this is one of Brent's favorite lines. And I still use this line to this day with our uh, AP guys we have or young players that come in. So it was after a really hard practice for world juniors, like tryouts. And everyone's stretching out. And he goes, uh, hey, Cam, how did you do today? And I go, I I don't know, pretty good, I hope. I don't know. And he goes, uh, Barks, you were second star. <laughs> so I'm all happy. I'm like, hey. Right? And then he goes, you know who was first? And I go, no. He goes, everyone else. And I was like, I was like, oh, no. But, you know, that was just, you know, him breaking the ice, and I knew him, and uh great joke first of all uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but i remember when he said that i was just like oh no i'm not making this team and uh but, but no he he had a way to to get through to players and uh you know i love my time with him the two years he coached both teams and you know uh yeah love that experience and uh yeah, that that first team, well, it's hard enough winning two in a row. Can't win two in a row without the first one, and um, that first team was definitely special. Um, you know, looking back at that roster now, right, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy, but, you know, those are friendships you have for life, and still a lot of guys I talk to, and... Um, you know, it gets back to junior hockey, man. You, you can't beat it. Yeah, but I was going to ask you if you still keep in touch. Obviously, Seabrook and Ladd were on that team, correct? So you would have played with them in Chicago. And is there any other guys you kind of stay in touch with from that team or even the 06 team for that matter? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of them now. And then, you know, staying in the hockey world here after I retired, coaching with the Bees, uh, Definitely run into a lot of people, um, you know, with teams to do with junior hockey. Uh, a lot of those guys are still playing in the NHL. Yeah. yeah. Right? Uh, which is super impressive. Um, but, yeah, a lot of guys live here locally in the Okanagan, who I see a lot of. i uh, seen Seabrook recently. Uh, you know, Keith wasn't on those teams, but – Someone who I played with in Chicago, see a lot of. Um, but no, I think the hockey world in general, you know, whatever profession you're in, it's going to be a small world. And uh, I think the hockey world is uh, exceptionally small. And a lot of us stay in touch. And, you know, if it's not someone you talk to regularly, you'll definitely be running into them. Yeah, it it is true. Like it, it's crazy. Even sometimes I'll when I sign in at the MBAX there, I'll look at the scout list and I'll be like, "Holy shit!" Like some of these names you see on the scouting list is like 
it's just an instant throwback on seeing oh, yeah. some people, right? Like, and I'm sure it's the same with you when you're coaching it against some of them now. It's like, holy shit. I always wonder what that guy was doing for the last 10 years, right? Yeah, yeah, it's sure. funny how that how that works. So I guess that kind of gets gets you into after the World Juniors and your time in Madison Hat. You're partly playing with Chicago up and down with them in Rockford. And you mentioned the best time of your life being junior hockey. And probably the hardest part of being in the AHL, not trying to take your voids or words away, but not all the time you're in the NHL and there's struggles of there's no guarantee you're going to be up and get sent down. What was it like your first few years of there being really no guarantee that you were going to stick and sometimes getting sent to the minors and back and forth? Yeah, no, that's uh, right. It's something totally new to get used to. And, uh, you know, and I know obviously some junior players will run into this in, in junior also. Um, you know, when I talk about junior being the best time of your life is, you, you really don't have much else to worry about in junior. It's you got to worry about school, hockey, you know, once, once you sign and you make it, now you got the whole laundry list of responsibilities as far as now you got your agents, now you got different teams, ice time. Now it's more of a business. Um, but yeah, getting sent down, I had a few injuries, you know, that's all part of it. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed that experience too. Uh, Chicago, when they drafted me, was one of the worst teams in the league. And I remember my first couple of years, we weren't getting no fans. We weren't on TV. We, uh, it was tough sledding. Um, you know, at a very veteran team which, you know, I learned a lot from uh, a lot of the older guys. It was great, but, uh, you know, just being in a place that's not, you know, set up for success instantly, right? It's something you kind of got to create. And I think that's why Chicago had the run they did is a lot of us came up together. And, you know, we bunch of young kids all want the same thing. You know, now you throw good coach in the mix. Next thing you know, they're they're where they want to be, and uh, but it's a, honestly a tough recipe to duplicate. And um, but as far as me playing in the minors, and you know, called up and all that, uh, you know, I loved hockey so much that you know I knew where I wanted to go, and you know, what it was going to take to get me there. And, um, you know, I had, I was very fortunate with Chicago too. I had some great coaches in the minors. Mike Havland was uh, phenomenal. Um, you know, uh, uh, honestly, man, it, it was the time of my life. And, um, but yeah, as pro soon as you get to pro there's a little more to worry about than than junior and that's you know why i i think the way i do about junior but obviously when you're in junior you want to get to pro you ain't thinking of what i got to do in junior um you know it's funny just the perception of it and when you're in it and versus when you're out of it um but yeah no both times were uh were awesome 
Well, and one thing I'd like to get back to that you kind of mentioned in there is about the games not being on TV. So when you were in Chicago, they literally, like, people listening probably think, oh, not on TV, like, oh, they weren't like the headline game on NBC or TSN or whatever. They literally weren't on TV in Chicago, right? Like, they weren't on anything. Yeah, so those were, uh, I'm obviously not upper management, but um, I guess at the time, the Hawks' ownership did not want, if people didn't want to come to the games, they weren't going to put them on TV. And uh, so a lot of the time, we'd have less fans than Chicago Wolves, which is an HL team. Um, Then our team was still not great, right? So we had... I was a top pick. I think Taves was next, and then Kane. Um, then there was a change in the thinking behind that. And next thing you know, they're selling out the building for I don't know how many years straight, and ripping off cups, and you know, having all that good stuff. Uh, yeah. I got. I got to ask you about that. So when you, because twenty ten. You were part of the Nick Letty trade that went the other way, correct? So Nick yep. Letty was with Minnesota, yep. and you were traded to Minnesota, right, for Nick Letty when he – okay. So, I mean, I don't know if it's still a touch-and-go subject, but in 2010, was it tough on you watching them lift the cup? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, it was tough for, tough for years, I, I would say. I mean uh... – People still ask me, oh, you were on that 2010 team. And I was like, well, I was until the deadline. Yeah. So I think it was Kimmy Johansson and Nick Letty was still in college. Obviously, both great players. Um, Yeah, no, I hated being traded from Chicago. Wasn't expecting it. Um, You know, that team goes on to win the first cup for Chicago. And, you know, I'm not sure how many years, but... uh, I guess all those guys I grew up with, uh, you know, Bolins, Bickles, the Browers, Seabrook, Keith, you know, we, we all kind of came up in a certain way together. Uh, Colin Fraser, you know, I, I, I was very sad to be uh, shipped off. And then obviously for that team to win was, you know, uh, you get very close to your goal and uh, it doesn't happen. It's, you know, it's not... Uh, I didn't feel great about it. Um, yeah, obviously would have <laughs> loved to have been there. But uh, no, it's something that still comes up to this day. People will go, hey, that 2010 Hawks team, huh? Like, you guys were really good. <laughs> and I was like, wow. They, well, they're even better after the deadline, <laughs> apparently. At least you can be funny about it, though. I mean, shit. I, me knowing you, I know you joke and have fun about it, but I I can only imagine. Even still, it probably it still leaves a bit of a bitter taste in your mouth. I mean, it it would for me for sure. And I, I'm sure at the same time, even when you're watching that, yeah, you're happy for the guys, but you're you almost don't want them to win because it's like fuck. Like I don't want to be the be not on that team with them. You know, it's like. It's one of those tough, tough situations for sure. 
Yeah, it was yeah, it was tough. And I mean, me being a young guy at that point, I mean, um, you know, these are these are great learning moments as far as you know moving forward. And but yeah, I felt uh, a real tight connection to that team and you know coaching staff down. Uh, I really loved uh, Joel Quinville. Still do. I think he's the cream of the crop as far as it goes, uh, you know, for coaching. Uh, I hope he's back in the league in short order here. But, uh, no, I miss those guys when I got traded for sure, yeah. Now, talk about Minnesota because I don't know too many guys who've ever played in Minnesota, but I've heard it is an unreal place to play. Uh, Can you attest to that? Yep. No, I, uh, I enjoyed my time there. I mean, if you can, uh, just picture me being traded out of Chicago and that team going on to win the cup, just how thrilled I was to be in Minnesota at that time was probably not, uh, at an all time high, uh, thinking back on it now. Um, I should have enjoyed it more. I should, uh, um, you know, but that's how things go. Things go, uh, I love my time there. Um, great rank. I mean, the people I'm from Winnipeg originally. So as far as, you know, the community, how things work, the winters, you know, I felt right at home. Um, you know, I enjoyed it. Meaning is a great place to play. Um, I mean, there's not many bad ones around, but, uh, minis, mini would be up there for sure. Yeah, I, the only thing I would say about Mini when you were there is those were like the dog days of watching Minnesota Wild play hockey. <laughs> like it was like as much as Minnesota, from what I hear, is a great spot. That was a pretty boring team to watch play hockey. Like with uh, they did was Gabrick still there when you were there? No, he had just left. So yeah, so it was like. Parise, he would have been there maybe at the end of your stint there. Oh yeah, I missed both those guys, so I was kind of there either. And I I hope when you're referring to boring hockey, you're not really talking about my own game here. No, I'm not. Um, (laughs) That'd be a problem, but uh, no. Anyways, we had no, we had uh, like Miku Koivu was uh, you know the stud captain forward. Burnett was a uh, forward there, right? Coach coaches now in the NHL. He was awesome. Had some uh, great veteran guys. Um, no, yeah, I, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do this year. Kind of sounds like they're going to go for it a little bit, which... I'd be in favor of uh I was calling the shots, but I guess I'm not. So <laughs> yeah, they, well, they got Caprice on. That guy's a stud, so you never know. And, and I'm a huge fan, obviously, of Kalen Asset. I know he's not I know he's maybe not the best defender, but that guy's puck skills. If he if in a couple of years, I think if someone just lets him just play let him be a rover, because he, he's never gonna be a great D man, but if you just let him run, I feel like he could be a heck of an offensive D man. So we'll see, but they definitely have some good pieces in store, Mitty. Yeah. 
And, and I guess your next stop, Edmonton. What, like, I look at that roster and I feel like a lot of people, especially at the time too, were like, why just, why isn't it going right for the Oilers? I mean, you got Nugent Hopkins. Yeah, maybe playing a bit above his head, probably as he would have been the first line center at the time. But you got Taylor Hall, Jordan Eberle. The D really from a name basis isn't a bad defense core. Like, what do you think went wrong in Edmonton? What? <laughs> that's, that's a loaded question. I like <laughs> honestly to have a good team, you know, or a contender or a winning team, you know, like Chicago. 2010 a lot of things got to come together and chicago they did uh edmonton right got all these top picks got uh you know some good veterans around ryan smith was around um man you you could have all the pieces and it just not work out sometimes it's you're going to have a couple of science experiments that uh, end up on the floor and not uh not in the books, right? So um, it's a hard recipe to follow. I mean, you know, Edmonton now is totally different with the crew they got. And, you know, I really hope they do well and go deep. And um, it, the recipe, man, it, it's harder than people think. Like everyone does their fantasy hockey and writes in on these message boards and it's, like oh man you know there's so much more that goes into it and i i sometimes i really wish you know people would clue in a little bit more or pay a little bit more attention because it's just not as simple as making a trade right it's dressing room chemistry who gets along who doesn't get along you know, how you guys gel as a unit? Are you guys doing team dinners together? Are you not? I mean, there's just so much more that goes into it. It's it's all, it's all painful to talk about because, like, the part that people don't know, that's the more part. There's so much more there that I need a defenseman to make this team good. Like, no, that's not just what you need. Sure, you need a D, but he's got a fit. And, you know, there's uh, things that go with that. But, uh, no, I, yeah, Edmonton, I I enjoyed my time. I mean, right, it's hard to have a hard time in the NHL, but uh, I enjoyed my time there a lot too. I, I had a bad injury that year. I was out for a lot of time. But, uh, you know, seeing Nuge, Hall, Everly, so young, doing great things was awesome. You know, I got to play with Ryan Smith who for me was an ab absolute legend, um, you know, before I even got there. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys who were there. Andy Sutton, um, Joey Moss was was still going. <laughs> really the fuel for the uh, dressing room. I, I have so many great memories with him and, um, you know, great atmosphere, coaching staff. I mean, so, sometimes these things just don't come together and, um I guess that was one of those years and um you know I'm hoping now Edmonton can they got they got a lot of the the pieces on the chessboard right now. Yeah, that that's the crazy thing about hockey, hey, is you could have arguably the two best players in the world and still be battling for a playoff spot. Like it's crazy how how that works out. And uh 
Yeah, like that. I think you make such a great point there when you say, yeah, I mean, you mentioned a D-man, and I could say, me personally, I look at the Oilers roster, and I think 99.9% of people look at the Oilers roster and say, yeah, they need a legit top four D-man or whatever. But you're right. There's so much more that goes into it than that. They need a guy. Maybe, yeah, they do need a top four D-man, but they need a guy who's going to fit with the locker room, not just go out there and make the plays you want. They need a guy who's going to get along with guys in the room, going to gel with everyone. And there's more to it. Now the salary caps, like every team's in salary cap hell basically right now because of COVID and the cap not going up really in the last few years. So there's so much more. You're so right when you say that, that goes into making a team better. And it's easy for anyone to just say, make a trade or claim someone off waivers, but they're, they're, you're right. There's so much more that goes into it than something that easy, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, hopefully Edmonton can find, uh, you know, a real uh, stud on the back end and, you know, but he's got to be able to fit in and get along with everyone and, um, you know, really be a leader to the young guys. And, you know, I know they got some good young D-men in uh, Edmonton too and young, you know, young forwards. I mean, it's reality. You get the two best players in the world on one team that are eating up that much cap space, you're going to have a bunch of young guys. And it's, are those young guys being taken care of? Are they, you know, are they doing what they need to do? And, uh, you know, I'm definitely rooting for the Oilers and, um, you know, hopefully they can um, get over the hump here. So you finish up your NHL career in Vancouver and was playing in Vancouver. Obviously you're from Winnipeg, nowhere near Vancouver, but Playing there at the end of your career, or NHL career anyway, was that a big reason why now you're living in Summerlin? Uh, no, those two aren't connected, but uh, I would say living living in Vancouver was, uh, was phenomenal. I mean, living right downtown, right by the rink, um, big city living. You know, it was great. Uh, by this point, you know, me and my wife had already moved to Summerland. So, um, you know, it was close in proximity. Um, but the one thing is I, I, I definitely found hard once I, well, I shouldn't say hard, but, uh, you know, that rivalry with Chicago and Vancouver. Oh, was, yeah. It was a big one. So, you know, walking into that dressing room was kind of like, ah. This guy's here, you know, like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and those are hard feelings to, you know, get over, or, you know, they don't happen instantly. Obviously it happens over time. And, um, but no, I, I really enjoyed my time there too. That was part of the lockout year. So, um, just half a season, I think we ended up getting swept by San Jose in the playoffs um but no enjoyed enjoyed all of it loved living and playing in vancouver um you know it was a great place and then a lot of those guys who i absolutely hated playing against now now you're you're loving playing with them so um you know that obviously changes team to team that's one great thing about hockey is you know i i could hate this guy playing against him but you know, everyone's like, well, I want him on my team. You know, it's like, 
Well, yeah, that's it is very true and doesn't get any truer than, you know, walking into the lion's den and being that guy, they, you know, maybe I don't know this guy or he did this or, but, you know, once you're on a team and, uh, you know, you're gelling as a unit, it's, that's uh, forgotten pretty quickly. And, you know, everyone understands the job they have to do. And, um, you know, me and my wife really enjoyed our time in Vancouver there. Who is, who is the number one guy you had the hardest time looking at when you first got to Vancouver and being like, oh, I don't know if I can play with this guy? Well, I think it was probably the Twins, but I just couldn't figure out who was who, so <laughs> it took a while. Uh, and then, you know, the usual characters, you know, Luongo, Bieksa, Burroughs, Kessler. Oh. Um, you know, so that's a laundry list of guys who for sure hate your guts coming in there, but, uh, you know, everyone understands the same thing, you know, um, you know, you want to lift your teammates up and sure, whatever happened in the past happened and you can joke about it and you can, you know, but at the end of the day, everyone's trying to, you know, pull the same way. And, uh, you know, I still talk to those guys and see them around and, you know, it's great. And. We can joke about it. Uh, but, yeah, it was definitely a little awkward for me walking in that room uh, the first time. I can, yeah, I can, I can only imagine, especially, like, nowadays you just don't see rivalries like that anymore, as we kind of touched with Junior. But just, like, those I, – I would love to rewatch some of those series that the Hawks and Canucks played from 08 to 2011 just to see the – the rivalry from back then, the hate that went on, it was, you know, it was something you won't see ever again, really. I highly doubt in hockey. That was pretty, pretty remarkable. But so you finish off your AHL career in Vancouver, you get over to the KHL, and that team you went to, what's it called again? Bratislava? Slovan Bratislava? Is that correct? The first one I went to was Astana Bar. Right. Uh, right. Um, yeah. So I was gonna ask you. So that first city you went to, is it how's it pronounced? Is it Barisastana or vice versa? Astana is the city. It's the okay. capital of Kazakhstan, and they've since switched the name and then went back to the name. And then Baris is uh basically a snow leopard in Russian, if I'm not mistaken um but yeah it was a very different experience going overseas um you know i went in there with an open mind i was lucky enough to have a few uh friends from winnipeg who played hockey who were already there so they were kind of able to give me the you know show me the ropes i think it would have been extremely difficult without them um just as far as you know how the days look and what you're doing you know different side of the world different language different alphabet uh culturally totally different um but i i really enjoyed it actually my one youngest son was uh born in kazakhstan he'll tell anyone who'll listen he's from kazakhstan <laughs> um, I'm from everyone, Kazakhstan. Everyone's like, 
your kid's crazy. He's not from Kazakhstan. And I'm like, no, he's from Kazakhstan, yeah. <laughs> he's uh, like Borat, eh? <laughs> he is like Borat a little bit, yes. Um, but no, love my time over there. And, uh, you know, it's a difference. Uh, culturally, it's very different how we run things here, how they run things. But uh, as soon as I was told from some of my uh, North American friends, like, hey, things are different here. Just go with the flow. Don't fight it. Don't, you know, like, why Why do they do this like this and we don't do it like this back home? And, you know, as soon as I kind of cut that out, I uh, got along great. And I understand why guys can't take it over there. Um, but, yeah, no, a phenomenal experience. Got to learn a ton about not only the rest of the world, how, you know, how other people grow up, where they come from, what they do, um, how hard they have to work. Uh, I think it was a very valuable uh, experience for me, you know, not only for at the time, obviously playing in the KHL, but, you know, just going forward as, you know, not everyone's from the same spot, but. You know, if you can get everyone on the same page, now we're now we're talking. Yeah, I, I've heard, especially that city that you played in, Barisa or Astana, whatever you want to call it first. I guess it changes every every five years or whatever. But I've heard it's a really nice place too. And it is it does it have like an indoor beach or something? Oh my goodness, this is. Uh... This is great. So uh, it, it's pretty much middle of Kazakhstan. It's uh, I would say it's like a mini Dubai. They they built a new city after the Soviet Union collapsed. There's this mall in there. It's a giant, uh, not glass, but see-through teepee, a huge, huge building. Anyways, they got a beach in there with a pool. And I remember my dad came to visit and we went right to the pool and looking around i think i only had one son at this point where he's looking around and he's like this is just crazy and i was like what do you mean he goes well i'm in kazakhstan in the middle of winter on a beach in a giant teepee and i was <laughs> like well, well that's that's one way to look at it but um no the the town and city restaurants everything is very very impressive uh there Things for sure work uh, a lot differently than they do here. And that's, you know, more of a learning curve. But, uh, you know, once me and my wife kind of got in the groove of things, felt very comfortable, really enjoyed our time there. Spent three years there, right? I have a son that's born there. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I guess, yeah, I don't know how to put this, but you know, it's how much new, you know, someone's willing to kind of try. And, uh, you know, my experiences overseas with my family have definitely taught me to be open to a lot of things. And, um, you know, not everyone works the same, right? It's, you, you got to kind of be flexible. And, um, you know, I definitely took a lot of lessons out of uh, playing over there and learning different cultures, different languages, different you know, just just taking as much in as I could. And my attitude towards that at the beginning, 
for sure wasn't the same as it was when I was leaving. Um, and I don't think I would have stayed as long as I did if, if I didn't come to that conclusion earlier. Um, it was a great learning experience. Uh, I still talk to a lot of people from there. Got a lot of friends. Um, Nick Antropov was there, you know, who had been over in North America a long time. And, you know, his, uh, I suppose it must have been like the same time he went to North America for the first time, right? Like something totally foreign. And, um, you know, there's that learning curve that goes with that. But honestly, I wouldn't trade that time for anything. Well, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned Andropov, but uh, there's. I remember I watched the team that you played for. I watched a KHL game three, four years ago at, online, and there was one guy on that team that I, I don't know why. And he, I looked, and he was he played with you too, but his name was Roman Starchenko, I think. Oh my goodness! This it's, guy, I, I played. I played against. A couple of guys over there that uh, for sure never made it to North America. Um, there's Sergey Mosiakin. Yeah. Um, and I played with Roman Starchenko, and I could honestly say, top to bottom, like I would have just a hard time with him one on one as I would Marion Hosa. <laughs> okay, so I'm not crazy because I was going to no, say. No, no, or Patrick Kane or. I thought the world, he was so fast, like I could never catch him. Now you put him on the big ice with me, it's like, oh no. <laughs> and then they were just super smart, but the, like there's guys who never come over that they stay at home and they honestly make more money than they would in the NHL. And they're at home, they're right, they're with their families, they're with their, why would they ever come over? They don't, uh, they think of it very differently than we do. Um, but yeah, Roman Starchenko is him and Sergey Mosiak and people that ask me, I'm like two of the best hockey players I've ever seen. No one even has heard about. No, I remember like I only watched one game and I actually like I've looked at his numbers and his numbers in the K are nothing like they're not like crazy. Like he, he was good and I think he hit a point a game a few times but like if you compare like Mosiakin I think it was like almost every year he was oh, over yeah uh, Mosiakin was definitely a little bit more special but he was also on uh bigger clubs right um so you know uh Starchenko would you know he'd be play on Bar East there and team Kazakhstan which I felt like might have been a little bit second fiddle as far as big clubs go over there, but you know I played against all these guys and I'd I'd put him number two against Mosiakin and you know both those guys for sure could have played in the NHL if they wanted. Yeah, I, I just remember watching him. I'm like, how's this guy not have more points? Like this guy is like dominating out here. He's sick, and I couldn't believe he never played the NHL. But you're right. I, I mean playing. Especially in Kazakhstan, being the only team in Kazakhstan that plays in the KHL. I mean, that's his NHL. It, as much as we look at it differently, that's his NHL, technically. No, for sure. And I mean, if I, you know, if the roles were reversed, like, I'm never leaving Canada unless I have to. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, why would he ever leave? Um... Yeah, no, that that's a that's a good way to put. Now, everyone in Ru- who played in Russia has some stories that you probably aren't going to hear in North America. Do you got any crazy Russian stories? I sir, I certainly have a few, but uh, you know, I feel like those are better left uh, unsaid at the moment. <laughs> okay, uh, fair. It's uh, it's a school night here. I got to get the kids to bed, so. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Well, well I was we'll end on that note there. Uh, that's uh, totally that's totally fair. I was gonna get into coaching, but you know, you basically touched on on how growing growing up and how many life lessons you learned, and even going to to the KHL. I guess the last thing I'll uh, I'll say: What was your go to dessert before bed on the road? Because Chris Steger seemed to say that. You loved ordering dessert or having dessert at 9 p.m. on the road. You know, my favorite was I'd always order dessert for me and Chris, but Chris would never get any. That was no. <laughs> it was usually ice cream or brownies. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Oh, that's cool. I love that. I love that. I'll still I'll never forget that time too. We were in Toronto at his wedding, and you and Buff were sitting on that rooftop patio, me, you. And uh, Buff and then uh, Capone. Capone was with us. And you and Buff are like little kids. You got these lemons in this cup. And you and Buff are just launching lemons at people on the street in downtown Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's funny. But I'm yeah. Buff about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was funny. But yeah, no, I'll let you go on that. And, Thanks again for uh, for joining me.